Hey, it's Aidan here. Just before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about something new. It's called the Magician's Business Group. We've just opened up a Facebook group designed to help you guys as entertainers grow and improve your entertainment business. So if that is you, if you are an entertainer that wants help growing and improving your entertainment business, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you right there. Or if you're like me, have the Facebook app on your phone, open it up and search for the Magician's Business Group and you'll go straight there. Anyways, back to the episode. Hey, it's Daha Mansour here and you're listening to the Successful Mentalist Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Successful Mentalist Podcast. Of course, my name is Ashley Green. I'm joined by my very best friend and co-host. Oh, wait, no, he's not here. Tahari's not here. He's buggered off surfing. He's on holiday. <laughs> Instead, guys, you're going to have my very good friend Tahar. Not Aiden. He's uh, he's elsewhere. Tahar, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Ashley. Thank you very much. Did Aiden just leave us to go on like holidays while we're working? Oh, yeah. He left us to do all the hard work. And you know what? He went, nah, I don't need to do this. The boys can cope by themselves and uh, leave them to it. So the plus side, it means I get to do whatever I want. So anyone that's been following the TSM story whilst we're recording this and have been away, have seen me prattling around on the social media uh, at The Successful Mentalist if you want to follow us anywhere. <laughs> but without me waffling <laughs> on, because today, guys, I don't have Aiden holding me back from the serious amount of waffle that you're going to face. Um, look, the reason why I wanted to get you on today's podcast, Tahar, is, is interview you on something which I know you're fantastic at, and that is really the the stuff we need behind the scenes like close up close up for me is often filled with magicians and mentalists often just doing tricks and that's as far as it goes and you know me and i know you we we both are people that like to think a little bit further beyond just the tricks and the actual performance skills as well. We like to make our close-up material actually captivating and interesting. And that's what I've got you here today to talk about because I know your mind is full of gold. We had you on, was it about a year ago we had you last on this podcast? I think it was that, yeah, it was before my lecture. So I think it was a year before. Wow, time flies by. Honestly, we had some amazing feedback when you came on to do that podcast and when we was looking for more guests and and especially for this month, we knew we had to reach out to you because the amount of gold that you dropped last time, oh boy, I know you're going to do it all again. But for anyone new that's listening to the TSM podcast that didn't listen to your old episode, give us a quick 30 second summary. Who is Tahar Mansour? Okay, so summary about me. Okay, 30 seconds on the clock. So <laughs> my name is Taha Mansour. I'm a French mentalist. So I've been studying engineering in Central, which is a, an engineering school in France. And in parallel, I've been creating and performing mentalism shows, I would say. Uh, I've got a show, a running show in Paris, uh, which has been running for two and a half years right now, which is the Butterfly Effect, which was actually nominated for an award, the um, Petit Moliers, which is like the Caesars for small uh, theaters. And I've got my brand new show, which is going to start in October in parallel to the Butterfly Effect. Uh, So I'm all hyped up. And uh, yeah, in parallel to that, I'm a soft skill trainer, which is basically I teach communication, creativity, and all that good stuff that goes around your hard skills, which is like math and physics and and like business and stuff like that. So, yeah. There we go. You know, that's... <laughs> I love how you're just kind of so modest. It's like, yeah, I do this. Yeah, I do this. Ah, la, 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 la. I'm looking down at like some of the people in here. And first of all, we have David, who you're doing that online show. I've literally looked at David in the Lima live podcast recording and his Zoom profile picture, guys. It's literally the blimmin' <laughs> show poster for your online show, which is fantastic. Yeah, but go David. <laughs> he's a great guy. So thanks for being here. We've had uh, Ferdinand joined us as well. But, you know, the thing is, Chahar, you 
have achieved so much and you do everything you do well and you've won these awards and i love the fact you didn't even mention the ted talk you got off the back of that show (laughs) yeah oh yeah i got a ted talk ah that's not important to everyone else i like wait ted talk but you you're like ah just i just do stuff and just enjoy it but the thing is what really strikes me about you is the thing of like the tricks are just tricks you look so much far beyond that you look so much more further beyond like what is your process? And and I want to keep this close up because of the people that we've got in today. Um, and I know the types of people that are going to be listening to this podcast. But when you're putting maybe a show together, a routine together, or performing close up, where does your mind go? Because I know you're not just thinking, well, I can do my ambitious card. Well, I can do this drawing duplication. You're piecing together tricks. Like You're planning it into a performance. So how do you go around that? And how do you start to make everything engaging and fun and and, and good to, to use a simple word yeah okay um so i think i'm going to separate my answer into two different types of close-up because they're fundamentally to me uh not the same the close-up set and like where you have like a mini state close-up show where people just come and sit around you or when you do walk about and i don't have the same energy nor the same preparation for both of them um so do you want me to start with one of them or just anyone? Yeah, okay. So Go let's with whatever's with the... best. Okay, awesome. Uh, so I'll start with the uh, like the close-up show. So sometimes in some occasions you get, um, you're not doing walkabouts or from table to table. You're just sitting there and you've got like a mini set prepared and people come and see you and it's still close-up, right? Because it's close-up material. So uh, in my case with this, um, uh, I'm all about what I want the audience to ex- to feel and most importantly what I want to leave them afterwards so it's sort of weird because in magic and mentalism we think about the moment right now whereas for that sort of set when it's like a small 10 to 20 minutes show I think about what I want the spectators saying afterwards so it's sort of like a backwards procedure because uh, in psychology, you've got two types of selves. You've got the experiencing self, which is the right now, which is like, yeah, I'm having fun, etc. And then you've got the remembering self, which is basically you and everything you've ever lived through. The remembering self is the thing that stays the most. And I think that um, a lot of close-up material is designed to give fun for the experiencing self. Like it's fun and engaging self, but it's not programmed and constructed for the remembering self i don't know if that makes sense actually no i'm I'm on track so far and if anyone's got any questions who's listening live like feel free whack them in the chat and then i can ask to her um and go from there yeah absolutely and and if there is something that wasn't clear actually feel free to just cut me and say you're saying rubbish (laughs) um so yeah i i sort of to her you're saying rubbish (laughs) (laughs) okay damn it so let's start again um, so I, I sort of think about what I want to leave them and the experience that what, that I want to leave them. So I'm very minimalistic in terms of uh, performance. So usually it's all about one or two things, very powerful things that I want to leave them going away with. So I'll give a specific example of one um, close-up show that I did, which was a 20-minute set where I was like, hmm, it was sort of like uh, an evening where there was a restaurant on top and then people would come down in groups of like 10 and there was me and another magician and then music up top. And so basically people would come and then sit around, etc. So what I wanted to do was that I wanted people to talk uh, about what I did after they leave, right? Like during the restaurant. Um, so the idea was that I said, well, I won't have time to like properly introduce myself for that scenario. And the people weren't people like who, go too much to the theater i didn't feel them that vibe so i thought what about doing a set that actually presents what mentalism is so that's what i did i made a set which was i want to present what mentalism is so i started off by saying i'm a mentalist now i know that doesn't make sense to a lot of you so let me show you what i mean so then i moved on to a couple of small routines but every single thing that i did and this is the second point that i was going to say is the coherence, the global coherence and the links. And these are the most important thing. And these are the hardest thing that that you need to place in. So I think I started off with uh, talking about um, uh, like, yeah, uh, psychic phenomenon and stuff like that. So then I took a uh, voodoo doll and I levitated it. Then I said, no, I'm not psychic, whatever. So I came here and clipped the invisible string. 
And then I moved on to like doing a, a divination of words. And then I did a, an Akon connection between two people. And then I did a final routine. Now, this is how it was constructed. I sort of asked people to think about different stuff and then I defined them. And then every single thing that I defined, I just left it on the table like pieces of paper, right? Then I moved on to the Akon. In the Akon, I said that what interests me as a mentalist, after I explained to them that mentalism is like mind reading and connecting with the people, spectator, psychological things or whatever. Um, I, I'm really interested in like intuition and how people connect with each other. So I did an Akon and then I left the actual card inside uh, the box in the middle of the table, but just like just leaving my stuff out there. And then finally, I ended with my own routine, which I constructed for that set, uh, which is influential, which is basically a routine where the spectator goes, leaves uh, thinking that they lived something that they didn't live and that there's proof of it. And then they were manipulated into hallucinating the entire set. And that was the premise of the show. That was the hidden thing, the sub premise of what I want the show to be about. I want people to leave thinking that they did not experience anything and that they were just, uh, it was a hallucination, right? So the effect, the final effect was this. So I said that I was going to influence people. Um, and uh, yeah, I took a person next to me and I told her I'm going to teach you influence. So in order to make sure that the influence goes well, we have like the spectators who are going to be influenced and the others who are not going to be influenced. So just to compare, right? So I put people next to me and I told her, look, there are a couple of images and et cetera. So choose one and just influence them. So first effect is that she influences everybody, the image. That's amazing. Second thing is that I tell her, well, to be honest, uh, I wasn't influencing them. I was influencing you. And what's beautiful is that the people next to me who saw everything from like backstage, they say, well, the image that they, she influenced everybody did not exist on the list that you gave her. And she's like, yeah, of course it does. And I'm like, no. And then she looks at the paper that she was holding the entire time and the image is not there and everybody can prove that. And so in the end, I show a huge prediction saying that I influenced her to think that. So what happens is that after that, this is just the routine. So I'm not going to too detail. Sorry, this will make sense in a moment. <laughs> um, so after she starts wondering about, well, yeah, I did see the image right there. She's got the entire room telling her that she didn't, right? And people saw things and people are convinced about that. And when you have 10 people in front of you telling you that, no, the image that you influenced us does not exist on the list and you just hallucinate it, well, you believe it afterwards. You cannot not believe it, <laughs> even if you have like your best friends next to you. So I wanted to take that further. And after that, you remember every single thing that I left on the table from the beginning, like the bullets of paper where I wrote stuff, the card that I left on the table, et cetera. Well, this is where coherence comes in. Casually, while I was leaving these things on the table and moving on to the next set on offbeat where everybody relaxed and while they're talking about the effect, I just switched them to a different card and to... Uh, bullets of paper with just squiggles on it that look like words, but not exactly, which I've prepared beforehand. So now you've got this lady who's convinced that she's been manipulated, right? You've got everybody who's convinced that I manipulated her. And then I tell them, well, what if none of that ever existed? What if the entire thing from the beginning was manipulation? You see, you saw your card at that specific position, but what if you were so convinced that you were going to see that you actually hallucinated that? And so they themselves take the box in which I placed the card and they see that it's another card. And then in the end, it's all the, but you remember at the beginning where I read your mind and et cetera, and maybe I didn't, maybe you just were so convinced about my powers that you just hallucinated. And they wait and they themselves turn over the thing that they were, and they just see squiggles. I can't describe the reaction they get because it's, there are so many different convincers to convey that element. And then I just leave them there. So all they're talking about is no longer the effects. And this is where I want to end up on. Sorry if it was too long, but I was trying to process things in my mind. They don't talk about the effects. They talk about the experience as a whole. And this is what sticks in their minds. And I absolutely love listening to people after a show or after a set. And when, while they were leaving, this girl was screaming about, but I'm sure that I saw the photo. And they're like, no, it's not. But did you see the word? Was the word written? Because I was next to you and I didn't have a specific app. Are you sure you saw the word Africa when he read your mind? Because look, that looks. And so they were talking about that hallucination. And that's the entire thing that they leave. They forget the Akon. They forget the effects which are there to 
amuse them, but they leave with a very powerful thing, which is the impression that maybe things were not as they seem. And so that's my key point for like these sets. More often than not, when I see close-up sets like that, they're just tricks which are like combined sometimes not even with links like even and i was with david we went to like avignon theater um festival which is a theater festival in france and we even saw a stage show which was constructed like a close-up show the effects were good i'm not saying that but like it was literally an effect and then we move on something else and then an effect and then move on something else and then an effect move on something else and then you, you've got seven eight things and then you leave and you're like yeah did you enjoy it yeah so what do you remember most I enjoyed it. Like that's the feeling you get, right? And it's the same thing with close up. And I think that the thing that marks people is coherence. And that's what differentiates something that will long last or will stay put. And so that's it. That's my first thing is I think about what I want to leave them with. And then the effects come in and I take the effects and I create what I call in my book, psychological sprinkles, which are basically tiny little things which aren't effects themselves, but like the sum of all these things will create a miracle. Like if, for example, I read your mind and then I tell you, look, that paper, there was nothing written on it. You'll say he probably switched it. It will not impress anybody. Same thing. If I take a playing card and then I switch it and I say, look, that's not the card. We always do that in magic, right? It's just a magic trick. But if you've got that, plus the divinations at the beginning, plus the lady who screamed that she saw a photo that never existed, plus that, plus that, plus that, you get everything going in the same direction. The people have to believe it. And so that's the most important thing, which is coherence. But can I ask you a question, though, which I know will be on a lot of people's mind listening right now? Like, I get where you're coming from. You're saying you want to leave people with an experience. You want them to not remember the trick like they should be remembering you and, and the the bigger picture of what's going on. But for someone listening right now who goes, yeah, but Taha, the thing is, when I do my ambitious card, it leaves a great experience because people are amazed. Do they need to look so much further into this and, and place all their sets together? Can they not just do trick after trick after trick if the audience are amazed? What's your thoughts on that? Okay, um, so this is something that is very interesting, actually. And I'll go back to the notion of experiencing self versus remembering self. Uh, it's something that I found, um, and it was actually one of the discussions that I was having before I came to my multiple paths system, uh, which is basically um, the idea that magicians most often than not, I'm not criticizing that because that's the natural thing that we do, but psychologically speaking, it's wrong. It's we... Um, sort of we see the reactions and then we go, yeah, that made more reactions than that, then that means that it's good, right? But uh, a reaction is not like, wow, amazing, that's a reaction and you feel good about it. But if I, let's say for example, I, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, let's say for example, I take a blank canvas, right? Then in front of you, I, I turn the canvas around and I start doing a huge painting. And I turn that around and you see the most beautiful painting ever, right? Then you, you might go, wow, that's amazing. That's the first reaction. If just after that, you get close to the painting and then you see that it's actually a lead screen, what is your reaction? You're, you're left dull, right? You had that amazing reaction before, but that was ruined by the thing that happened afterwards. And there are two things that actually define the long lasting reaction. It's the lasting effect, the last thing, which is called uh, the, yeah, the, the last thing that they see basically. And second thing, the coherence. Things that go in a lot of different directions are not easily memorizable because the brain likes to memorize stories with a single plot. And you also see that in movies. If I tell you, name the first movie that pops into mind, which really impressed you. To tell me, Ashley, what is the, give me a movie that really amazed you. Let's give that as an example. Oh, you're talking to someone that doesn't watch TV, but I'm going to go for the one that I've just seen. The DC new film that's out, Suicide Squad. Just okay. because it was the most recent. And I thought it was cool. Shoot okay, me down, awesome. people. Shoot me down. Can you tell me what the Suicide Squad is about in just one se one sentence? A bunch of superheroes, and in that film, 
They fought a giant octopus. Or a starfish. Okay. A giant starfish. A space starfish. Taha. Awesome. A space star- that That's brilliant. So here's the beautiful super thing. Supervillains, even. It goes... The, the line goes further. It's supervillains with microchips in the back of the head so that their brains will explode if they don't become basically superheroes. There you go. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's... <laughs> That's even better. Now, the most beautiful thing is that, have you noticed when I asked Ashley to summarize the movie, he just told me a single idea, which is superhero. So I know it's like a bunch of action things and it's going to be wacky. And when he says like the huge starfish, then I'm like, okay, I get the feeling of the movie and I haven't seen it, but you get the feeling of the movie because everything is coherent. However, if I tell you, well, it's a movie about a... um, a, a little girl who goes to the forest, but at the same time, it's also her mother who is struggling financially speaking. Oh, and her father as well, who's like a businessman. And and you're like, well, what the hell is going on? You might enjoy the movie, but you won't have a long lasting impression. And the first movie like that, that pops into mind is that, um, oh, maybe some of you have seen it, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. I absolutely loved it, to be honest. And I still have good feelings about it, but it goes everywhere. Like, if you ask me right now to summarize the plot, I can't. I really can't tell you because there are so many characters. It goes everywhere. And so I don't memorize the thing. I just memorized the title and I was like, there is a good feeling associated to the title. And now you don't want that. You want people leaving with one specific idea. And that's coherent. And about the ambitious card, this is actually funny because the ambitious card is actually one of the uh, rare tricks that are actually designed to have a long-lasting impression because it's got a chorus just like a song songs that are really well memorized have repeating choruses and you've got the same thing in an in an ambitious you've got initially the card and then you've got a uh what do you call it? a verse and then it goes la 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 and then ta-da and then you go la 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 ta-da and then la 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 ta-da and the ta-da is every time the card pops up and so that the ta-da moment sticks in mind just like every single pop or rock song that you hear right and so that's the same thing the way to work on a trick in order to make it lost is not the same thing as working it to make it impressive I don't know if that makes sense. So the idea is um, if they react, that's good. But it might mean that they just had a present good moment. And then maybe a couple of minutes later, their mind will construct everything up. And that's the same thing with methods, by the way. I don't talk much about methods, but um, I see that a lot of times as well. And this is about the multiple paths. So many magicians tell me, yeah, multiple outs and blah, blah, blah. I just had a card index or et cetera, whatever. And then they're like, yeah, but when I perform it, they're amazed. Well, did you wait 10 minutes afterwards to ask them whether they figured it out or not? Because if they did, then they will not have any good souvenir about it. And that's exactly what happens. Even if I perform right now a trick that is the most ridiculous thing and that is very easily solvable, you will get a reaction at the beginning because the mind is surprised by surprising things out of the ordinary things. That does not mean that they're fooling. And that's the difference. If you see a reaction, that means that it was surprising. If I go, bah, you will get a reaction. But that doesn't mean that it will leave you with something lasting longer. I don't know if that makes sense or I was like maybe going on too much tangents. No, 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 it completely does. And I, I think this has been like the underlying philosophy throughout my entire career. And what clearly looks like your entire career is why you're doing so well, dude. Can I ask you a question of something we spoke about? I think this was yesterday or the day before as well. When we was putting together a title for today's podcast, we spoke about the topic um, of obviously becoming in, instead of acting. And a lot of magicians listening right now, whether the people are live or uh, or the people on the podcast, which if you are on the podcast, do make sure to click the little follow button and share us with your friends. That'll all help out. Thank you very much. <laughs> Shameless plug to her. But here's the thing. A lot of magicians will think that maybe what they are doing is acting, but that kind of is not what you said to me the other day. Can you Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, I, I sort of remember what we're talking about. So um, 
I, I think there is a wrong conception and that uh, uh, goes further than magic. I'll just stick to magic if you want me to go further. But it's something that I've noticed is like when we're trying to become something we're not or trying to project ourselves, we feel that we're acting, except for actors because they know what they're doing. But I mean, usually what happens is that um, the magician will put on a fake character and will do fake things in order to convey a specific thing. But if you don't believe in it, um, and if you haven't looked at what's known as the subplot and the subtext, then it will just be completely vague and just uh, superficial. And that's the main difference. If I present to you, if I like explain or like I pitch a magician that I saw, just with my pitch, you will not be able to know whether he was acting or becoming simply because we memorize the superficial thing. However, you will feel whether they were acting or actually really believing it because um, acting is just, oh, let's see. Um, I want them to, uh, I, I don't know, I want to put, put a joke in, uh, in that moment or I, I, I want to read their mind. So I'm going to say something along the lines of, hmm, I read your mind. So and and he's happy about it, and then they and he continues. Uh, but the problem is, is that if after I say, "Hmm, I read your mind," and then I instantly go think of something, okay, now take a piece of paper and a pencil and just write it down, please. Then thank you, that would be awesome, and just show it to everyone. I'm not looking. Well, you've just broken everything that you've set up, and these are the tiny little things that I was talking about: coherence, which go out of it, which is that well, in construction, you clearly see that that magician thought of that single sentence. And I actually saw it on stage once. I'm not mentioning names because I don't want anything, but it it was uh, a mentalist who came on stage and, and he was like, mm, I'm a hypno-mentalist and I'm going to dive into your mind. But while he said that, he was trembling, literally stage right. And it was like, hmm, hmm, I mean, come on. Like, if you are stage right, don't say that sort of sentence because it doesn't work. Anyway, so that's the sort of things that are... Um, no coherent and it's a principle in uh, psychology and soft skills which is known as alignment but what is meant by that is this basically our communication is split up into four different axes the verbal the non-verbal which is our body movement our body language the paraverbal which is my tone my rhythm my breath and the final axe is the aura and I'm going to explain a bit about each one of them, and then I'll say why, like, the difference between becoming and acting. Um, the verbal is the types of words that I use. Am I very posh or am I very slang? Do I make, do I do a lot of ums or do I think about my words? The paraverbal is, do I speak very quickly like this and I have a very ex agitated voice and I, I feel that I'm going to be jumping around everybody, etc. As you notice here, I just changed the paraverbal. I'm not changing the words that I use, but you have a different character about myself. Or I can just speak with a lot of long breaths and now you have another character, right? I just changed the paraverbal. The nonverbal, which you can't see if you're listening to the podcast, is do I do a lot of movements or am I very stable? And last but not least is the aura. Now, the aura is the expectations of people before you meet them. And you will not have the same aura with different uh, spectators or like audience. I'll give you an example. If I tell you right now that in this podcast will be joining us Tom Cruise, Instantly, at that moment when I said that name, you had a feeling. That feeling is his aura. That feeling, you can't really describe it, but you sort of felt a present, maybe a sort of charisma or a way is he's going to act. Or if I told you now I'm going to bring in Donald Trump, well, same thing. You also had a feeling, and that's aura. You can't remove that from a person. And so it's extremely important before you go to a place to sort of try and identify uh, the aura that you have with them. Now, you don't always control it, but if you do, that gives you a very powerful information because you become this and you become um, coherent and charismatic when all these directions are aligned. And I'll give an example. If I am a general who's leading an army and I start saying, 
listen, guys, I'm, we have an army in front of us and we're going to give them the best we can, okay? So please kill everybody. Do not leave a single person. You won't believe me, right? You, you're not going to go and walk with me. Nice, you actually laughing. It's ridiculous simply because the words that I was using, if you just separate the paraverbal, they were very harsh words. Kill. Uh, do not give leave them anything. We're going to give them the best we got. So that's like encouraging words. So it's not just the words. It's also the way you say it. But it's all the, the way you present it. And everything about that creates when you become that thing. So when you think about a line, most often than not, we just think about the line as a line, like a sentence that I'm going to say. But we don't think about the context of that line. We don't think about when we're going to say that line. So instead of, I, I'm just going to give a suggestion. If you sometimes feel that like you're not managing to become and you feel that you're always forcing yourself into acting, try to forget your lines. And instead of thinking about your lines or how I'm going to move or whatever, try to think about what you want to convey and your internal processes. And that will convey everything because that will be the most authentic thing. Maybe you won't get the same line out, but that's fine. And that's the second part, which is like the other type of uh, close-up, which is like walkabout. In walkabout, you don't, you can't really construct a long thing with like coherence and everything. So the coherence is this, the coherence is what you're going to perform. You can either decide to have jokes, have lines and have a set that's prepared and saying, oh, I'm going to do an Akon and then after that I'm going to do a uh, a levitating car or whatever. Or you can decide to know who you are and to take a deep dive in. And once you know that, depending on the table to which you arrive, you're not going to do the same trick. And that's when you become authentic. That's when you actually become memorable. I can say to every single person listening right now, the past half hour of what you said to her, if you apply that and take what Tahara said and apply that into your own material, whether that be hey, close up parlor stage anywhere or even that casual performance uh, down the bar, this is a game changer and everything that you've described is 90% of the problems I see with a lot of people doing close-up. I see people just going out there, just doing trick after trick after trick after trick, because it's like, it's what we're taught, it's what we're sold, it's, it's what we're grown up believing, and it's what our peers and friends are doing. And then the other thing as well, what you said there, wow, I can give examples of um, so many magicians in the past where I've watched them, and I've just switched off. I've just become bored. I've become uninterested. Not because the tricks were bad. The effects and what they were performing was bloody amazing to her. But it was how it was being said and how they were delivering the information out of their mouth and that kind of like underlying emotion. And it just made it absolutely boring and drained out. Like everything you said is really powerful. But I want to make it really easy for people right now to be able to take action. So I come with two questions. The okay. first being, how does someone know if they need to take action on any one of the things mm. you've said today? Like, if you perform, you know you're good. You you might know that, yeah, I, uh, maybe I'm not as good as Darren Brown, for example. Maybe <laughs> I've still got a little bit... <laughs> before I can go and smash out West End shows and tour and be on TV and that. But a lot of times people think, you know, I am, I'm really good at what I do. So how can they identify those areas for improvement to know what to focus on? And then after that, what's the easiest way of slotting everything and piecing everything you've said into a quick kind of summary of the key points to transitioning and making your close-up material or stage or parlor so much better. So I'll leave you with the easiest question, first of okay. all, which is how can someone identify it to know what to apply? Okay. Um, so the identification part is, uh, for me, the first part of it is not having, I don't know how you call it in English, bad faith. D does that work, the expression bad faith? It's like mauvaise foi in English. It's basically where, like, you know there is something and you sort of deliberately try to convince yourself of something else. Does that make sense? So you're on about kind of maybe is this like a hit of ego here? That kind yeah, of belief like that. in belief in yourself that 
Are we saying yes, everyone like should that. go around at this? Have no belief in yourself and just assume you're no, rubbish. No, no, no. Is that I'm what we're saying? <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, um, no, of course you can be good and it's good to know that you're good. Uh, the thing is, uh, how to identify it is easy. It's when you, the first thing that I, I noticed personally, and that's just from my experience, and maybe you, you have other things which work better for you, is that every single time I perform, I try my best to sneak up to people who to whom I've performed without them noticing me and just to listen to what they're saying. That's for me is the most important thing because that shows whether I managed to to present to them what I wanted or not. For example, my um, in the end of my stage show in Paris, every, every single time when people leave, they stay a bit talking, right? And then before they leave the room, they want to look at the stage or whatever. And I have a very powerful image at the end where there is a single card on the table anyway and i always stay uh like just behind the door listening to every single thing that they can hear and if and there were some nights where i heard people not talking about the things i wanted them to talk about and this is the most important thing if you're good people are always going to say good things what you need to do is write a list in your mind of what you want them to say because if they say something else, then that means you were just good, but you weren't where you wanted to be. And that's the difference. So that's the first thing, just listening about and just hearing whether the ending or the trick or the memory that you wanted to implant in their mind worked or not. If they're talking about it, then it worked. If they're not talking about it, then there was something off. So once you have that, the other possibility as well is while you're performing. Let's say you designed the set and you know it works and or you, you like on paper, you thought of everything out and you either base yourself on existing tricks or you create your own stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you get a feeling of people not being up there where you wanted them to, then it's probably and most probably a sign that you're not aligned. So all I have to say is be honest to yourself and if you feel that people were just enjoying their time and not being absolutely gobsmashed, then that means that there was something off. And so the second thing is, to simplify that, all you have to do is, if you can record yourself, that's great. If you can't, try to do a little run back in memory. But by looking at all of these three or four axes, verbal, paraverbal, and nonverbal, and even in the aura, I'll put attention, like intention, sorry. And try and think about like analyzing everything that you did from that. So, okay, so verbal. Uh, did I say these words? Okay, yes, I did that. I did not miss a step of my script. So the verbal is fine. Let's move on to the paraverbal. Paraverbal, hmm, maybe here I, I, I started a little too loud and that sort of was not at the same energy as people, et cetera. And so these are sort of axes that you can actually use to correct yourself, if that makes sense. Um, and last but not least, I think you... And it was something that came to my mind when you were saying, Ashley, is that we magicians are always focused on like the magic tricks themselves. And I think it's related to the industry. We're the only artistic industry. I'm plain simple. <laughs> We're the only artistic industry where there's an industry for the artist. You don't have that for singers, for musicians, for clowns or whatever. You don't have that. And so what we have the same problems as buyers who just want to show off what they bought and that's basically it but the problem here is that this is our work <laughs> so it's not just a hobby where we're showing that we bought this beautiful Sarah pair of pants or whatever this is our work so um and and i think that all this industry forces us to be like look this thing if you buy it, you get that reaction and all the trailers are create that big link in your mind, which is you buy that, you get those reactions. You buy that, you get that. But it's not you buy that, you get that. It's you buy that, you work it, and most importantly, you be connected with your audience and then you get that. And connection is most important. I don't know how many times I've seen close-up magicians at like, I've never been to weddings, but like in other like company parties or whatever, just focused entirely on the trick. And I'm like, there are people in front of you. People who maybe don't care about what you're doing or are absolutely interested by what, what you're doing. The pure focus and I've seen from magicians just 
staring down a coin. Whoa, it's it's bizarre. No, no, it's more than bizarre. It's terrifying. The amount of effort that goes into staring at that single coin. Right? Everyone else is irrelevant. It's like, whoa, me. It's like they're gonna make out with a coin. Absolutely. Whether it be a coin, a card, or or a rope, even, and it's insane. And and it's like I remember it was uh, a actually one of the first magicians to, from whom I've learned magic, which is Andy Field. He used to do a lot of YouTube videos teaching card tricks back in like 2013 or something like that. And so at one point he posted a thing, and it feels so relevant even today. He said that he he saw a magician at a wedding. Uh, do a uh, coin set, uh, a coin matrix thingy. And there was a lady that came up to that person, absolutely amazed. And she has like her eyes wide open and she was like absolutely in love with the magic. She went to the magician and she told him, wow, that must have taken you like years and years of practice, right? And then he <laughs> replied to her, oh no, that's one of the easiest things I can do. Here, let me show you something else. <laughs> and <laughs> so... He probably wasn't like arrogant or anything like that, but he wasn't connected with her. And instantly she was not interested by anything that he showed simply because he did not listen to her and he did not give her the full attention. And that's the same thing with magic. Most often than not, we just, we go to a table already prepared with the trick we want to show them, but we haven't seen their energy. We haven't felt what they're like. We haven't seen what they're going to do. And I think this adaptability is something that is lacking a lot for magicians because we buy tricks. A musician that messes up can continue, right? A musician can improvise. A, uh, um, I don't know, circus clown that sort of falls where while he wasn't meant to fall will know how to turn that into a joke. And because we're always in the moment. However, a magician is not in the moment, unfortunately. He's not in the moment or with the people. He's in his mind with the trick and thinking about what he's going to do next. And that's the worst of all. So I think like the solution is um, just feeling. And it takes time, I know. But like just going to a table and just giving you that moment of, hi, everyone. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is Taha Mansour and I'm a mentalist. It's cheesy. I know that. But you got to start somewhere. And once you start learning that, then you, once you really like be connected with the audience in front of you, then you start um, working on yourself. And then you know what works for you or not. Where I was talking with Francis Girola in London uh, a while back. And uh, we were talking about um, psychics and magicians and Barnum statements and cold reading. And so he told me something and I absolutely agreed. He said that the concept of cold reading was invented by magicians and not psychics. <laughs> magicians looked at psychics during their things and said, hmm, I think that if I say this line, well, that will work out. Same thing, if cause consequence and you're like, no, the first thing is actually to connect to the person. And yes, there are Barnum statements. And yes, there are things that psychics will always say because it's a reflex. But the first thing is they connect with the person in front. And yeah, I, I think I, I can go on and on about that subject. But just because like the first thing for me is really like connecting with the person in front. As a tarot reader and psychic myself, you've hit a chord with me. Oh my <laughs> gosh, the amount of conversations I've had about cold reading, but that is for another time. Look, the, the people being so focused on on tricks is is a real issue to heart, and it really does take away from that performance in and of itself, and and it reduces that kind of aura as well. Like people don't get excited; they don't feel as though they're in, like you're in their, they're, they're in your presence, like. It just feels like you are doing tricks because let's be honest, that's what you're focused on. So therefore you are doing it. But when you start putting your full attention elsewhere and when you start actually caring about the audience or maybe like putting your attention on something which or, or believing something else or, or focusing on like this larger picture is so much more interesting just for people. And that's the type of magic I personally like watching as well. I'll tell you a funny story, actually, before we move on to obviously the next thing that I previously asked you uh, i saw a magician once uh, mid-show he was so focused on the tricks and getting it nailed every single time and just having the same outcome the same beats the same pacing the same coin trick the same bloody thing i've seen 500 times honestly 
picked up these uh, postcards and coins and was doing stuff and someone saw the postcard he was holding and went, oh my gosh, I, I think it was like, we'll say the postcard said Florida or something. The the person mid-show went, oh my gosh, I've been to Florida. Have, have you been to Florida? Are these coins from Florida? What a great moment to like actually go with your audience, right? Do you know what the magician done? Uh, if you could please withhold questions at the moment, if you could take a seat. No, it, it just ruins the flow of the tricks and I have a certain things that I, it's best if you save any questions till the end. What a great way to make your magic shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Kill me. <laughs> oh my God. That's horrible. Absolutely. And and I think I, I just have to nuance about what I, what I said. I'm not saying do not practice your tricks because it takes a lot of practice. And I'm not saying like, because I have heard other magicians saying, yeah, the presentation is all about, you don't even need to practice. I'm like, no, you need to practice. <laughs> I, I practice, practice your tricks and, and know when you need to put your attention on it, but don't put your attention every single time on the trick. And that's like, of course, when you're doing this specific slide, you can't focus on the public. That's almost the same thing. When an actor is on stage, they're not always focused on the public. They're focused on what they're doing. But when you're interacting with them, if you don't even give them the slightest interaction, just like you said, if you don't like take into account what they gave you, then they'll feel you're just performing to yourself. And there's nothing worse than that feeling. And I think that's the second issue is that like actors on stage do not think about the spectators. They feel them, right? But they're not an interaction because it's not an interactive show. However, they still transport us because they're doing it for a higher role. Their 100% energy is onto something bigger and it's not themselves. And I think some, maybe some actors, but like most actors that really take you, you see that they're passionate and they're putting their entire energy for something bigger. And that's not the case for most magicians. Most magicians are putting in the energy, not even to the spectators, but to the trick, which makes them look good. And that's why you don't get that good interaction. Um, so yeah, I think exactly. by the way, uh, just before we get to the second, uh, answer, uh, one thing that really helps to get a connection is simply to ask a question, especially in close-up, whatever type of question, but just ask a question and listen, that's all you need. I, if you have like your specific character and you're silent or whatever, of course, don't do that, Be but I'm probably sure you already have your own ways of engaging with the audience, but when I mean ask a question is like send something and receive something from them. It can just be a gaze. It can just be you looking at that table and looking to each and every one of them and just nodding your head. And that's it. You've done that connection. You've given them your time. And that's all it needs to like make the magic go poof. <laughs> I say the same thing to my students that come to me when we're talking about sales because the direct skill directly applies there as well. Absolutely. What are you saying? Do you... <laughs> <laughs> Me, when I perform, I'm like, all right, look at these tricks. Yeah, uh, it rises to the top. It rises to the top. It rises to the top. Yep, no questions, please. It rises to the top. Right, I'm off to the next table. See you guys. If you want to book me as my card, that's why I say ta. Awesome. <laughs> no, that's not. the thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but look, let's pop to the, um, the second question because I think this will be really nice to round out before we mm -hmm. finish today's podcast. Asked you like how someone can really, really simply and easily apply everything that you've said today into their close-up material. So, what's the most important things? If you can kind of summarize this into yeah. like a few minutes, like how can someone take the advice, the independent tips, tricks, messes, techniques, and all that gold that you've shared, and apply it directly and easily into the current close-up routines to elevate it and actually make it a routine a performance and something fun that people are going to give a damn about um i'm going to um summarize everything inside a single word which is very powerful for me uh which is assuming and accepting and i know that sounds weird let me elaborate um most often than not we see um constraints and we tend to look away from them or we see problems. Let's say, for example, we prepared a trick and we're like, oh no, it's very angle sensitive. Look here, I don't have my preferred table and I asked for another table and it didn't get that. And this is very angle, blah, blah, blah. And then it's always, oh no, look, this happened. Or, oh no, oh no, she took the wrong card. Oh no, he 
interrupted me. Oh no. And that's all we do. It's, oh no, oh no. And you don't become real with that. And so what I'm going to say is a single word and it's one of my favorite words, which is uh, assume everything. And what I mean assume is if you want to, everything that happened has happened. If you say, oh no, it will not bring back the past. And if it does, then great for you. I don't know how to time travel, so I'm not at your level. But if you don't, then it's nothing. Like, even if you get a heckler saying, you stupid coward, whatever, I don't know. If you don't assume it, then you won't be able to accept the situation and move on. So that's the first thing, accepting. But it's not the outer part, but it's also the inner part. Let's say I want people to be, uh, I don't know, to focus on a coin. Let's say I want them to focus their attention on a specific coin. Then all I have to do, if I just go, okay, look at that coin, and then I place it in my hand, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hmm, they didn't focus, but I told them to. Yeah, but because you didn't assume that you wanted them to focus. If you want them to focus, well, you want them to focus. You create everything around it for them to focus. So you yourself focus on the coin. You don't say a single thing. The coin becomes your world and then you place it on your hand and then you create. And so it's all about assuming. And most of the time we don't do things fully. If you want to scare people, most of the time go like, boo, (laughs) I didn't mean to scare you. And we just laugh it out. No, if you want like to really do something and impact them, you have to assume it. And the last thing, which will also sum up everything behind, whether it be for the paraverbal, nonverbal, charisma, and et cetera, is assuming your, um, ah, how how do you call it? Your weaknesses. There we go. Your weaknesses are your strengths. And I know that sounds weird, but your weaknesses are what defines you. And when you know them, then you can actually assume them and make them your strength. And I'll give a specific example about myself and then I'll stop right here. Uh, when I started doing my writing, my show, The Butterfly Effect, I had no money. I was a student and then I wasn't working and I didn't have a budget. To be honest, I had no budget. I didn't know anybody. I had to do everything on my own. So uh, I knew that it was not going to be like Darren Brown or whatever or flashy. And I've seen so many shows like try to do things with a budget that they don't have and it's horrible. And probably you've seen so too, actually, right? And and you're like, yeah, but I know. But if I had a better budget, then I would have done something amazing. And you're like, but you don't have one. And that's it. And so I was like, I don't have one. So what is my solution? Well, I'm going to assume it. And how do you turn uh, don't have a budget into something positive is minimalism. And that's exactly what my show was. And then I took it to the next step. I was like, okay, minimalism means that I won't have a lot of props. Well, you know what? Even what? Let's take it a step further. Not even props means no props at all, but I still need tables and chairs. So how about everything that I buy is black? So everything is faded out in in the decor. And that's why I did. Everything on stage is black. So I only have black chairs and black tables. And I was like, you know what? Let's go there even further. Um, Not everything is black means that I don't even exist. So even let me create a like a... um, light and sound setting and a mise-en-scene where I don't even exist and it's all about the char- uh, the spectators. And you know what? I was like, okay, let's take that to another level. Well, to another level, minimalism is not buying anything, is turning everything black, is me disappearing, it's putting everything to the spectators. And so in the end, it's a story about them and therefore leaving them with something that they will remember themselves. And so that's how my show came to be. Of course, I, I worked it more and more and more. But now I haven't had anybody tell me, you know, your show was not that visual, but because it's not meant to be same thing. It's not like, oh, you know, um, it's it's not that I don't know. I, I didn't feel I felt that it was lost budget. You could have done better if and I hate that sense. You could have done better if no, you have and assume your things. Now I have better budget because I'm working. So I'm using a lot of my personal money to like buy new stuff. And so I went to something different for my new show. But all I'm saying is this, when you know that you have something bad, turn it into something good, assume it, and then you can make miracles with it. If you, anything that happens with you, and that's the state of mind of the improviser, it's yes and. Everything that happens, the first thing you say is yes. Yes, it happened. And what am I going to do with it? And that's what's important. 
I said it at the start, I'll say it again. Taha, you dropped some gold on the last podcast and I think you've outdone yourself here and you've dropped a ton. Honestly, for me personally, I've got a lot from this and I hope everyone in the live audience and the people watching or listening back on the podcast or watching on YouTube uh, really enjoy this as well. Like, I think this alone could be a game changer for someone if they start to apply. Like, we got love hearts and claps coming in from the live oh, audience now. Guys. Like, thank you guys. Like, that, that really, you know, just summarizes like the absolute gold that you've shared today. But I want to give you an opportunity now to her. You know, the yep. podcast is in 95 countries around the world. We've got people in live, people listening back on the recording. This is soon going to be on YouTube. If it is already on YouTube, it won't soon to be. It's already there. <laughs> <laughs> but Jahar, you've got access to speak to half of the world, 95 countries. What do you want to say? I'll let you say, plug, do whatever you want. This is your moment to shine. Ah, ooh, ooh, long and pressure. that was okay. it. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> um, a couple of shameless plugs. So, since David is here, we have a an online show with a friend of mine, David, who's a French magician, um, and uh, we're probably going to start performing it in English starting next. Uh, I have no idea for the dates yet, but so I'll keep everybody in touch. The idea is if you had five men, if you could ask five questions to mentalist and a magician, what would you ask them? And here the idea was, well, it actually summarizes everything that I was saying here because the idea was that we wanted to make a Zoom show, but the problem was that we felt that Zoom shows were either TV shows but far, with far less budgets or uh, stage shows with less interactivity. So the idea was to create something that cannot be played on stage, which is not the case for any other magic show that I did. And so it's all about us receiving questions and then answering them yes there's a bit of writing yes there's a bit of improv uh you'll see it at the it's called in search of wonder that's the first thing um i'm writing a book i have no idea when it's it will come out yet uh hopefully next year but i've been so busy it's will be called card reading systems and for those of you who know my multiple paths uh, it will, I'll have a full chapter within that, taking this to the next level. But basically the book is structured around five new systems. And it's just like the multiple path system, but there are four others. There are a lot of tricks, but I wanted a book to be about systems rather than tricks. And so this is the single line. And that's why you've got system in the, uh, in the title. And then if you come to France, hit me up and then we can like, or if you are in France, actually, um, I'm playing my shows in Paris uh, twice a week. And so if you want to come, we can, you can join me and then we'll just have a beer or whatever. <laughs> uh, and if you have any questions or if you just want to talk, hit me on Facebook and I'll be happy to answer anything. There we go. There we go. Well, Taha, I want to say a massive thank you on behalf of me. And Aiden, who's probably busy surfing some <laughs> waves right now. Thank, thank you so you. much for coming here and thank you for being so open and, and sharing the advice which a lot of people would put in a lecture or course and, and try and sell. But you've come here and you've shared everything for free. So I hope you guys really, really do value this. Taha, it's been an honor. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for having me. Bye bye, guys. Hey, it's Aiden here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would really mean the world to us if you just took a moment to leave a rating and a review on your preferred podcast player. That way it just helps us grow the show and get it into the ears of more listeners across the world in a non-creepy way. Also, when you're ready to roll, here are three ways that we can help you right now. Number one is to join our free Facebook group. It's called the Magician's Business Group and we're creating the most valuable space on the internet for entertainers that are looking to grow and improve their business. We'd love you to join us inside. So to do that, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you straight there or just pull open Facebook and search for the Magician's Business Group. Number two is to take our new quiz. It'll help you find the biggest opportunity in your entertainment business right now. And in just a few quick questions, you'll be presented with a seven minute breakdown of your biggest opportunity and how you can actually go about tackling that to help increase your entertainment business and boost it completely. In order to take the quiz, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. And we'll be able to get you your results. Number three, momentum. 
If you'd like to make an extra two grand a month in Magic without paying a penny for advertising, we'd love to help you. Our latest coaching program, Momentum, is designed to get you booking gigs every single week for at least £500 so that you can be growing your entertainment business without having to worry about websites or business cards or advertising or any of that kind of stuff. To find out more, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum and we'll send you all of the details.